about to do the first episode of Wild About Life and I'm here at the Raptor Refuge with Craig Webb. So Craig, how did you end up here? Well, um, a little bit of a journey to get here, but I guess it started um, when I was born. I've always been around wildlife one way or another. Um, they always seem to have been attracted to me, whether it's finding bats strung up on fences in my travels or... or um, fairy prions landing at my feet on the spirit of Tasmania exhausted or wallabies needing help just I could tell you a, a myriad of stories that these these animals have come near me and, and I've been able to help and always had a passion for them I guess um, there's a turning point um, about 25 years ago when I um, became involved in a veterinary clinic up in the Kimberleys up in the Kimberley region of Western Australia um, and I worked there for about four or five years and um, yeah, I gained a lot of knowledge um, from crocodiles to wedgies to um, a whole range of macropods, different types of wallabies and wallaroos and kangaroos. Um, and after my stint up there, um, I, I came back to Tassie because I'd just soaked up all this knowledge um, on all this wildlife. It was, it, was, it was like destiny. It was just meant to happen. And I came back to Tassie and I got licensed with the department to look after particularly um, kangaroos and wallabies. Um, because I'd done so many of those and, and I, I built a few enclosures on my, my 20 acre property and I, and I started doing a few wallabies and possums and things and then a few birds came in and a few more birds so, so I knocked up um, some really makeshift aviaries and um, you know as, as time went on um, more birds came in it, it kept it being and they were raptors and more and more raptors came in and then the, one of the turning points here was when, when a seagull came in I thought wow this is a this is a serious bird. Um, what am I going to do here? So I started developing an idea to make a really big aviary, and um, and I was working on a fish farm at the time. So I used a fish farm net upside down, and um, basically strung it up uh, between poles, and and it worked, and it was extremely successful. Um, and and I, I particularly remember someone saying, "Oh, this bloke does the raptors," and and that's how it sort of it it, it evolved into the raptor refuge and. And, and in that time, in the 20 years, I've built some, um, yeah, just a lot of facilities and, and an amazing a range of aviaries from, from small to hospital-sized cages up to our mammoth um, 16,500 cubic metre um, eagle flight aviary. And, and it really has snowballed and gained momentum. Um, but that's a sort of, um, I'm a bit of a stubborn bloke if I have a good idea and I think it'll work, um, I'll, I'll run with it. And just going back a bit to that, that first aviary, I said to a couple of blokes on the fish farm, I'm gonna build this aviary, so using a, an old fish farm, and, um, and I think it'll be really good because it'll be friendly on the bird's feathers being made out of netting, and I'll be able to get a big size, so big bang for a buck, so to speak. Um, and they were going, no, nah, don't waste your time, just don't bother. Now, if I'd actually listened to those, this place I don't think would be here because as I said before, it was a turning point to have such a, a really large aviary um, to be able to get these big birds of prey to be able to fly around and get fit prior to release. And then, and then again, as I said, it's a snowballed and um, it's, gained, it's gained a lot of momentum, the fact that now we have a, a 1800 Raptor hotline we launched two years ago, so we help more and more birds throughout the state. Um, we're, we're now putting together, as we speak, our 15th consecutive fundraising calendar which goes far and wide. It goes globally as Christmas presents and it's got a real following um, and that, that highlights all the birds we've got here and some wild bird photos. 
um, and it's a, look, it's a really high quality product on recycled paper. So that's a, that, that was also told when I suggested that 15 years ago to someone, they said, no, nah, that's never going to work, everyone's got a calendar. Rubbish, it's fantastic and it, it puts much needed funds into our bank account to do what we do. We're an incorporated association so we don't get um, any government funding. We raise our own funds by doing our guided walk and talks, which is a private boutique, if you will, type scenario in our beautiful landscaped grounds um, and, and people can just enjoy an hour and a half with a guide explaining about the birds and being up close and intimate with these birds and seeing how fantastic they are and, and learning all about their superpowers and, and just seeing what this is all about. And, and I guess it's an added bonus that we've um, got a bit carried away with the artwork around the grounds and you know the nice landscaping and the and the um, the pathways and there's just little quirky bits around the place. Um, I'm really proud of it and, and, and I've got a, a wonderful team of people. I've got um, three people on the board as well as myself um, and I've got a team of volunteers doing the calendar. I've got one paid staff member who's been with me for five years and um, she's passionate and learnt a lot and, and, a, and, a, and another half a dozen uh, mixed skilled people that are really passionate about what they do here and and whether it's doing calendar work or whether it's hands-on on the ground doing animal husbandry um, or landscaping, everyone cares about it and they take pride in, in what they do here. And I think that's it's very evident when, when people come here because the first thing they say is, oh, oh wow, I had no idea what to expect, but I certainly didn't expect this. And, and they've gone, have you got a landscape, you know, a full-time landscaper or something? And, you know, it's sort of funny. Um, but yeah, it's... it's it, it's beautiful to see people's reactions from from surprise um, to to sheer emotion when when we've got our, we've got two hand reared um, Tasmanian mast owls here in Montgomery and Bentley um, and they and they they look they're superstars quite frankly and and people their emotions spill over and and the, the amount of ladies in particular that I've seen um, shed a tear when they look at these birds in fact one lady recently she, she started crying and then looked at me and she goes, oh no, it's not okay, I'm not sad, I'm happy, they're just so beautiful. And then she's correct and they certainly are beautiful, but to meet these birds up close, it's a, it's a fantastic thing. And look, we've, the facilities here are just, they really are, I can't, I, I can't believe it myself that this is what's happened after 20 years, but it just sort of, like I said, it snowballed and, and when we need something, we, we build it and, and we're building it with the birds in mind and what better facilities um, we have is going to increase their chance of being released back into the wild, what it's all about. We've got something like 30 um, pretty much state-of-the-art cameras spread throughout the site, some for security um, and, and some for rehabilitation tools so we can see what the birds are, are up to when we're not watching them because they'll mask an injury if we're standing there looking at them, whereas if we walk away and go into the education centre, um, they'll just do what they do, they think that no one's looking at them. You can see if they're limping or if they you know, favour a wing or they've got a bit of a head shake or, or they're asymmetrical. So the cameras are an amazing thing that has taken a lot of work to get there but over, over time we've tweaked and, and got better gear and as, as we've um, raised some more money for them we've changed the cameras to get better cameras. So now they've got fantastic night vision that we can see not only security but we can see with um, um, the, the owls and nocturnal birds as well so the infrared system is really fantastic. So it sounds like you've achieved so many things here. What's one of the things that you're most proud of? 
Oh, look, I think the fact that um, that we've gained a voice in the community and, and people can see the good work we're doing and actually support us in lots and lots of ways. Um, our one eight hundred number is certainly a highlight. The fact that that is that is getting out there. You're seeing bumper stickers around. If anyone wants a one eight hundred sticker, they've only got to get hold of us. Um, and and these bumper stickers are, are, are creating the fact that there is a one eight hundred Raptor hotline um, to be able to call to get help for dead or injured raptors. Now, when I say help for dead or injured, you may laugh, but if it's dead, um, obviously, if we can work out what's killed it, we can. We can log that incident. We can work out was it electrocution, was it a car accident. We can log hot spots, and, and we're putting a geographical map of Tassie with all the hot spots of um, what's happening with different species. So it's really important data, and then we'll share that with um, with the department and and Tas networks and so forth. The other thing that um, is a huge a, a huge step in the right direction, I think, would be the fact that we've got um, a partnership um, or an MOU. Memorandum of Understanding with TAS Networks, um, which is basically a four-year contract, for want of a better term, to work together um, to to put more mitigation up, to work on hotspots, to work on um, resolving issues. So, for example, there's there's these things. Uh, it's very frustrating to see them when you're driving along, but there's there's a, an overhead loop, and it's basically a, a wire that goes over the top of one of the cross arms on the pole configuration on the top. Um, and it's a, it's a danger, it's a death zone. Um, it's, a, it's a death ticket for a lot of birds, in particular grey goshawks or the white goshawk, which is a threatened species. And they stand on top of this uninsulated um, loop of wire and they simply get fried and they, they drop off, they're dead. Um, they should be underslung and they should be insulated and it's really quite an easy retrofit and they shouldn't be put up again. So things like that, um, we're working with TAS networks, but you know, uh, they're set in their ways. We've had to, I've had to fight tooth and nail to get to the, the MOU. Even um, it, it's been, it's been a long process, and and now we're trying to work together. But they're a big organisation, and it's hard to to change the mindset of engineers. We're slowly starting to 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 change some things, but th there's a lot of work to be done. And and I know this for a fact because twice now in the last three years, I've travelled to South Africa. Um, to particularly work with an in, in Endangered Wildlife Trust, which is an organisation over there that deals with all these issues that we deal in Tassie with electrocutions um, and wind farms as even, but they deal with 50, 60, 70 species from wedgetail, uh, so, sorry, from eagles to vultures to giraffes being hitting pylons because they're so tall, to, to rhinos and to hippos scratching their bums on poles and wearing the poles out. Um, and knocking the poles over and getting electrocuted. There was 13 elephants died in an electrocution incident a while back when the pole fell into a, into a pond and they were all in the pond. Um, but they're, they're resolving it. They're working with the power utility over there, which is a government-owned utility uh, similar to TAS Networks here. And they're, they're working together. Um, and it's a great collaboration. And, and I've learned so much from there. And and, and there's no secret about it, I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel, we're trying to bring some of these ideals and um, way, of, way of thinking back to Tassie, which is actually working, and it's working over there, we've seen it work, we know it works, um, and it can work here, but we've just got to do more of it. So things like that, I'm very proud of, but, but um, you know, we can't sit on our laurels when, a, when we've had a few small wins, we have to keep plugging away, because believe me, if you've seen the amount of birds that come in here dead and dying that have been 
um, had had dealings or had run-ins with um, power infrastructure and, and let's just be clear on this that it's not only getting electrocuted it's also having a collision so they can they can't see a wire they'll hit the wire at full speed because they've got their eye on a rabbit or whatever um, and they'll just do an injury whereas um, electrocution is when they're standing on top of a pole that's uninsulated and their w wings are so big they'll touch two of the conductors or two of the wires so they get electrocuted but there's ways to fix this there's there's simple effective ways to fix all these problems the hardest part is getting the job done getting TAS networks to understand that they can they can fix it and they do understand it but they've, they've got a lot on they've got a lot more um, you know work being going on with new areas but um, that that's okay that the, the bottom line is let's go back 150 years say in Tassie um, when power lines were first put up now blind Freddie could see that if you put a power line um, in the middle of a paddock with nothing on it to see it no flappers no mitigation on it a bird's going to hit it anyone can see that now if you put you could you could string a pair of undies up on it the bird are going to see it doesn't matter what it does what it is it, but they've got some cheap easy to fit flappers that they're a form of mitigation that the birds can see um, they they work they, they simply work that TAS networks are putting more of them up but look it's 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 not enough we need to we need to put them up everywhere every wire should have them every wire should have these flappers um, and, and it will save countless lives every wire, every perch every pole should have a perch if not every pole every second pole now these perches they're just two bits of treated pine there's nothing tricky about them and you can retrofit them they, they, they probably cost fifty dollars nothing but the amount of birds that die from standing on top of the pole when there's no perch is ridiculous now what 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 cost do you put on these threatened species what cost do you put on these magnificent birds that are that are you know in all sorts of trouble in Tasmania from wind farms they're just annihilating them don't get me going on that I'll just start using colorful language but the fact is I, I'm focusing on the power line issues at the moment because I believe that we can get on top of this if we keep plugging away and keep working with Tas networks We've got a working group that we're going to now meet every six months and talk about issues that have happened in the last six months. So, um, for example, a, a, a grey goshawk got um, electrocuted on a, a pole that was um, on a pole top recently. Now, that had the over lo overslung loops that I talked about before, but the silly thing was that the pole had just been replaced. And you could tell because there was new gravel around the bottom that they tampered into the, in, when they put the new pole in. And I and once I, this was a one eight hundred call and I logged it, I logged the incident. When I spoke to Taz Networks, I said, "How come if this pole was um, replaced, it had a, the old configuration on the top?" Now the answer I got was, "Oh, yeah, it's a bit frustrating, is it? It should have been changed, but the fact is that because it wasn't a new works, we need to set up a new process to be able to um, to change that." In other words, there was no common sense at all. So basically, a bird died because. If the linesman had gone, wow, look, that's got overhead loops, overslung loops, let's simply undersling them. But no, they didn't, so they put a new pole on, put the same configuration back on the top of the new pole, and then once it killed a bird a week or two later, I called Tasnell Works, made them aware of it, then they sent their resources back to that pole, they changed the configuration on the top, they underslung it, they um, insulated the loop, and they put a perch on there. So, this, like, do I have to spell this out? Could they have not just done that two weeks before when they were doing it, when they had the top of the pole off? 
no. So there's got to be some common sense, and and really that's what we want to push for. Um, so does that answer your question? Yeah, Ingrid? and it's like you're also like the advocate for the girls really, because pe you're thinking about the girls and making that difference and getting the, get the boys back to the people of society because it's what we need to do. Because otherwise they wouldn't come see us. Um, well, absolutely. Yeah, we we have to do it. I mean, the birds, if they could talk, they would say. Oh, look at that, Craig, one of those bloody overhead loops, or there's no perches on this for stand safely, but they can't, so we're going to speak for them. Um, and we're the voice for the voiceless in that respect, and and the more voice we have with our you know, strong social media presence, our strong media presence throughout Tasmania and Australia, and even, in fact, globally, um, we, we've got something to say, and we can, we can make a difference, and, and I think that's really important, as well as doing what we do and doing it well as... Um, our motto says, get them in, get them out. You know, we're here to save these birds and get them back flying if we can. And obviously, um, so many birds come in. Um, that's why we've got resident raptors here in our education display area where we do our private walk and talks. That's where you can see some of these fantastic birds that unfortunately aren't going to be able to, um, to go back to the wild because these birds, they've basically got to be F-111 fighter jets. They've got to be absolutely spot on to be back out in the wild. They can't, you can't limp around if you're a raptor, it's eat or be eaten, and um, and we get a lot of starving birds in because they just can't find the tucker. It's not like they can go to the fridge and open up and get a mouse out. <laughs> they um they need to be able to catch their own tucker, and uh, and and if they're not 100% fit or 99.9% .9 fit, they're not going to be able to do that. So, you know, before we release a bird, we've got to make sure that bird is as flight fit as it can be, and that's why we have these massive aviaries and our flight tunnels and uh, all our other facilities to be able to. The increase the fitness of these birds to get them back into the wild. Yeah, here we are sitting in one of these giant aviaries right now. How big is that again, Craig? Well, it's a whopper, isn't it? Um, this one is 52 metres long, 26 metres wide. Um, it's 28 metres high. The two, the two poles, the two biggest poles, are 28 metres high. All the perimeter poles um, are 12 and 14 metres high, and there's about um, four kilometres of rope on this one, I believe. Um, and stainless steel pulleys, and yeah, it's a, it's a work of art, really, isn't it? It's a, yeah, it's great. And behind us, we've got a big flight aviary as well. So, what do you use that for? Uh, that's the flight tunnel. So, that's basically for the smaller species, um, and it's just a donut shaped tunnel that they can go banging around in. So, when we put hobbies or peregrine falcons in there, they can, they can build up some speed and go flying around the place, and it's really quite spectacular. Um, on one of the on one of the wish lists, um, there's an elliptical shape um, flight tunnel, same design, just elliptical shape. So it'll have two, it'll have a um, couple of straights in it. Um, so particularly the peregrine falcon can get more speed up and then do do his cornering really well. So yeah, I'd like to put a speed trap in that one. That'd be <laughs> spectacular. You put a lot of thought into all the different aviaries you've built. Um, so also, what would you say? Um, I guess you must find it really hard when you're getting all these birds coming in with injuries and um, you, uh, you clearly take them to vets. Um, is there anything else you'd like to see done with all these injuries that come in with the birds? Well, look, um, you know, I've got to be respectful of the vets that do help us out here in Tassie, but um, on my, you know, my, my dreams and goals are big um, as, as the birds are big, um, as their, their problems are big. Um, we've got to have a big wish list, we've got to have big dreams, we've got to have high hopes. Um, one of those is to um, update our little hospital into um, a proper hospital to have um, to cater for 
for all the birds to come in with x-ray machines, uh, vets on site, maybe, maybe contractual, but more importantly I think to be able to gain some um, international knowledge from vets from places like Abu Dhabi and Dubai who, um, where money is no object and they have so much more knowledge on um, injuries to particularly falcons and things like that, but I think that we can adapt a lot of those to say, say eagles that come in with um, you know, a, a, a classic injury for an eagle is um, hitting a power line and having an elbow injury or a, a broken humerus that we can fix if there's no joint compromised. But I think that um, to have to have their expertise that we just it's it's not heard of in Tassie what they do over there. Um, you've only got to Google Abu Dhabi Falcon Hospital, you'd be blown away with what they do. They've got a waiting room just for falcons. Um, you know they. Over there, the Falcons get a, a full seat on a, on a jet aircraft to, to fly from one town to the next. It's, it's amazing. But they're vets. They're, they're particular about what they do. And I believe that we can milk some of that knowledge. We can, we can gain a lot of insight and to be able to train some of our vets in Tassie and, and get them to come over here. I'll invite them here, I'll, I'll, but I want to increase the facilities. So that's, that's one of the wishes. To, um, that's one of the dreams to create that hospital. It, it'll happen. Um, I'm such a stubborn bloke. I, I don't accept no. What, why should I accept no? What, why accept no, Ingrid? Let's, let's make it happen. You know, let, they're, they're big, beautiful birds. Have you, I, I love the fact that people send me videos of birds flying around. I mean, there's the good and the bad. They send me dead birds and tell me stories and, and show me dead birds. Um, but on the other hand, um, people are so passionate about the big birds in particular because they're so visible in, in the wild that they send me, uh, you know, this week alone I've had three videos I sent of eagle soaring. Um, now there's a little old lady down at Jeepson that calls me up every now and then on the phone and she goes, hello Craig, just to let you know there's a wedgie flying over the paddock. And I say, thank you, thank you for letting me know. You know, it's a bit funny, but um, you know, it just shows that these people care and, and um, you know, the stories, they, there's, there's people telling me stories of them feeding a, a seagull with a, you know, out of a fishing boat, that, or they've been fishing and they're in their boat and they've fed a seagull by throwing a know flathead frame or something out in the water and it's going back 30 40 50 years and they remember it and they recount it to me like it was last weekend um, so that that's that says a lot and and for that emotion and passion to be out there in the community and to realize as we creating awareness about what happens and the threats they face in Tassie um, people are realizing that wow we can do something let's do something and uh, and let's get behind and support the Raptor Refuge and and one of the ways you can do that is become a member I mean, it's 50 bucks a year for an individual. Um, that's not a lot of money, and um, that puts money into our into our much-needed funds. You know, we don't get any other funding, and um, you know, we're not we're not crying poor. We we do well what we do. We've got this is on my property, so the overheads are low. So we've got you know a calendar as a fundraiser. We have memberships, and we do private walks and talks, uh, and there is a little bit of um, corporate donations. Um, but you know, it, it, it costs a lot to, to build these massive aviaries. It costs a lot. This this latest aviary that got built in Croatia was forty thousand um, dollars. And yeah, look, I've got um, I've got, got five thousand bucks off Taz Networks. I've got uh, a, f a few other. I think I, I think all up we we got our twenty two thousand dollars towards that. It's going to cost I think forty four in the end. So Raptor Refuge is going to put in about twenty two or something. Um, that's out of calendar sales. So you know we. We make our money go a long way. I make a hundred bucks go a long way. No money wasted here. Mm. Amazing what you've built up here. Um, 
and it just shows the passion. I guess um, while we've been in lockdown, is there anything that you've been doing here to sort of keep the place going? Um, well, we've, we're starting to think about making a virtual walk and talk, which we did some filming for that, so we're putting that together. Um, as a project, as a COVID-19 project, uh, while there was no walk and talks going on, we've started a new large slatted aviary, which is a beauty. Um, quite high, I'm about to do the roof on it, which I'm not, I'm not that excited about, because it's <laughs> about six metres off the ground, which is a bit wobbly on the ladder, which is nothing like these massive big flight aviaries, but um, it is going to be a beautiful, another beautiful facility. Yeah, so we've been doing that, and. Um, and some more artwork and bits and pieces around the place to make to make everything up. You know, we've been taking this opportunity um, just to tweak things up, uh, a bit of sanding of decks and a bit of painting and uh, things like that, and a bit of landscaping. We've got a heap of mulch brought in. Um, there's always something going on. And you're always getting birds coming in, even though we're all in lockdown. Uh, look, I think that um, you know a few people have seen. Oh, you be quiet. And I said, yeah, we're quiet with walk and talks. We've had more birds in in the last couple of months. And I, I, well, I. A, a, a lot of birds have come in the last couple of months and I put it down to the fact that there's people at home, they're on their properties, they're seeing these birds in distress because um, quite a few of them have come in areas around here, around you know, southern Tassie, around, around Kettering where people are at home and, um, and they're seeing these birds. So, so yeah, so COVID hasn't had anything to do um, apart from financially hitting us. Um, we've still got more and more birds coming in so we've been flat out in that respect. So just to wrap up, I guess... Um the final thing is um, people can all help us here at the Ratlaw Refuge. There's lots of things people in the general public can do. Um, so what would you say would be the one thing that you'd really like the local people to get behind and do? Um, well, look, there's a, there's a whole heap of things from picking up roadkill, but being aware of what um, how important these raptors are, how important these birds of prey are in, in our environment and how, how special and, in fact, magnificent they are just to watch it to watch a wedgie or to watch a, a falcon zipping around and, and to know how many mice that a, a, a Tasmanian mast owl eats. Um, I would say take roadkill off the road. I'd say support Raptor Refuge by becoming a member so that we can get on and do what we do by advocating work with TAS networks. Um, do not use rat poison. Just do not use it. Um, there's some safer things around it. Get hold of us. Get Talk to, talk to us. We can put you in the right direction. Trap Trap your mice, trap them and freeze them and give them to us. We'll feed them out. Um, you know, put your food in better containers. There's, there's, there's ways you can deal with mice and rats and it's not by poisoning it because when you poison your mice and rats at home, um, particularly with these single dose poisons, um, that mice or rat will be seen walking slowly or whatever and a, and a, and a, and a master will come down and snavel him. Masters in particular, because they eat their prey whole, will get all the all the poison into them and they invariably die. We get a lot of them in each year and it's, it's a really sad way to go. Um, so yeah, th there's lots of things to do. Become a member, don't use rat poison, become aware about what's happening, uh, particularly with wind farms. Don't, again, I'll say it, don't get me started on that. That's for another day. Um, but yeah, for power lines, we can do something, but be aware of what we're doing and get behind our work here at Raptor Refuge. Perfect, thanks Craig. You've been listening to Craig Webb from the Raptor Refuge here in Kettering, Tasmania, where his motto is, get them in, get them out, and help them soar again. You 
been listening to Ingrid Albion from Wild About Life and we look forward to having you on the next episode and enjoy the music from Reach the Top by Shane Iron.